invite you at this time to take your hymn book, uh, excuse me, not your hymn book, but your Bibles, and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. We'll find ourselves again this morning, as in our scripture reading, in Romans 1. And I just want to read verse 13 down to verse 17, Romans 1, 13 through verse 17. Let us hear the word of the Lord together. Now I would not have you ignorant brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let us pray. Father, I'm just so thankful for your word. God, as we sang that last hymn, my heart is overwhelmed. God, with the reality of how much I owe to you. God, you have given to me your son. God, he has come from the glory he had lived a sinless life. He was hung on the old rugged cross and bare in his body my sin. God, the wrath that was due me fell upon him. And God, I shamefully admit to thee, O Lord, today, God, that I do not serve thee as I ought. And God, I think that we would all be in agreement here today that God, in light of the great sacrifice of Calvary, God, we do not serve thee as we ought. And God, we pray that thou wouldst today, by thy Holy Spirit, place within us a greater desire to serve the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. But God, that we might give all that we have in our service to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, God, I pray, come and grant unusual unction to the preaching of the word of the Lord, that, God, that we might be stirred in our hearts by the word of God. Lord, you said your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, I pray that you would take the scalpel of thy word and God, perform the heart surgery that we so desperately need today, that God, that you might work within us. Lord, the psalmist said, it is time for thee, Lord, to work. And so, Lord, I pray that thou wouldst work today amongst thy people and minister, God, what we need. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There is one thing that is absolutely, positively 
essential to this generation and to every generation that goes beyond us. It is the Spirit-blessed preaching of the gospel. The world today does not stand in need of more men to remove the pulpit from the platform and sit in a chair and give you a psychology lecture. Our world does not need more entertainers in the pulpit. Our world does not need more storytellers in the pulpit. Our world does not need more social justice activists in the pulpit. Our world stands today in the need of preachers behind the pulpit that will preach the gospel of God's amazing grace. This is the need for this church. And this is the need for every other church. It is not a contextual issue. This is the hub word amongst church planters today. If you go to a more evangelical seminary, they will say, well, you need to contextualize to your particular area. And there is some degree of truth to what they say. Uh, but they say, well, you need to get to where they are and, and you need to adopt to their mentality. And if they're not comfortable with a man behind a pulpit with an open Bible preaching to them the word, then you get rid of the pulpit and you bring out a stool and you set coffee on the side and you talk with them. There's only one problem with that. That's not what the Bible teaches. We read in the book of Acts chapter 8 that Philip went down into Samaria and he preached, and the Greek word there for preach is caruso, and has the idea to herald the gospel. It was not a silent message, it was a loud message in which he declared the glorious truth of Christ. What we find here in Romans was a man who was consumed by this gospel message. This man who was so zealous as a Pharisee, is now one who is zealous for Christ. Paul was a man who breathed the gospel. He thought the gospel. He spoke the gospel. He lived the gospel. And at the end of his days, he died for the gospel. To the apostle Paul, Christ was just more than a cherry on the top of his life. Christ was his life. Colossians 3 and verse 4. And because of this, Paul was totally, unreservedly, and unflinchingly committed to the gospel. I ask you this morning, do you have the same degree and the same drive for the gospel as the apostle? Do you long that the Lord God of heaven would one day put behind this pulpit as your minister a flaming evangel. In the Hebrews 1.7, the scripture says that he maketh his ministers a flame of fire. Do you eat, live, and breathe the gospel? In this book of Romans, what we have is the unfolding to us of one separated under the gospel in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. But only separated unto that gospel 
But we find the unfolding of that gospel in verse 16 and 17. And he will unfold that glorious gospel message throughout the pages of Romans. And it is this gospel that Paul is not ashamed of. For within that gospel, Paul says, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul, in the very beginning of this epistle, makes, the decla- makes three declarative I am statements. And we want to look at these three I am statements this morning. These statements reveal to us the heart and the passion of Paul. Maybe this morning you lack passion. You lack heart that you once had for the gospel. If so, consider with me today Paul's three I am statements. The first one is found in verse 14. I am debtor. That is Paul's obligation. Verse 15 I am ready. There's Paul's eagerness. And in verse 16, I am not ashamed. There is Paul's boldness. So we'll be looking at these three things in particular this morning. Paul's obligation, Paul's eagerness, and Paul's boldness. First consider with me in verse 14, Paul's obligation He says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Here he says, I am a debtor. And this word debtor here in the original language carries the idea of one held by some obligation. Someone that is bound to a particular duty. To be under obligation to do something for someone. And what Paul says when he says, I am debtor, he says right now in the, in the Greek here, it is a present active idea that right now, this present moment, I am under obligation. It's not that I was uh, under obligation at one point in my life and no, long, no longer am I under obligation. No, the apostle says right now, this present moment, I am a debtor. I am, un, I am obligated. I am bound to a special duty. And this obligation flows from ultimately his indebtedness to Christ. Paul on a number of occasions identifies himself not as the apostle, but in Romans 1.1. See how he begins the letter. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. A slave of Christ. Before he identifies himself as an apostle, he first identifies himself as a slave of Christ. Philippians 1.1, Paul, a servant of Christ. Titus 1.1, Paul, a servant of Christ. Paul realizes that he is no longer his own. He has been bought with a price. And that price that has bought him is none other than the precious blood of Christ. He has a new master, and that new master is Christ. The old taskmaster was Satan. Paul is now a citizen of a new kingdom. And though he be a servant, though he be a slave, 
He is an ambassador for the kindest and most benevolent master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because he has experienced such a condescension of God's amazing grace, of God's divine grace, he is now indebted to make it known to others. I ask you this morning, have you experienced such a marvelous display of God's grace? Have you been bought with the blood of the Lamb? Are you now a citizen of the kingdom of God? Have you been translated from darkness to the kingdom of His dear Son? Are you under the direction of this kind and benevolent Master? If so, you are His ambassador. And like the Apostle Paul, you too are a debtor. You too are under obligation. There is no Christian who is not under obligation to their great master, which is Christ. There is no Christian who says, I am a loner. I will do what I want to do, and no one's going to direct my life. No, we are all slaves of Christ. He is our master, and it is to him that we follow. The question this morning should be, to whom are we debtors? Who are we obligated to? Well, of course, we're first obligated to Christ, but then that obligation flows from Christ to others. Paul answers this in the remaining of verse 14. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. He is a debtor to the Greeks and to the barbarians. And we find here actually defining for us the terms. The Greeks are the wise and the barbarians are the unwise. Paul owed a debt to preach to every man. He owed a debt to preach to these Gentiles, these Greeks. And who were these Greeks? Well, they were ones that thought of themselves as the apex of all wisdom. All others were barbarians. These Greeks were given to philosophy, learning, architecture, and various forms of art. They were well cultured. We read in Acts 17, 22 that they were very superstitious. They were very religious. And many of them were well to do financially. Paul had an obligation to preach to them the gospel. But not just the well to do, well educated people. He had an obligation to reach the barbarians. These were those that were uneducated, those that lived lives of simplicity, those that lived lives in poverty, those that were involved in grotesque idolatry. He had an obligation to preach to them as well. And you can even see in the dealings that Paul had with men, the difference in which Paul dealt with both of these groups Look with me in Acts 14 and verse 15. And here you will find that Paul addresses those that are barbarians in very plain speech in his sermon at Lystra. In Acts 14, 15. And saying, Sirs, why do you these things? We're also men of like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven 
and earth, and seen all things that are therein. Paul uses very plain language. He says, you need to turn from your idols and turn to the one true living God. But you will find in Acts 17 that when Paul is at Athens and he is standing in that great metropolis and he is there standing upon Mars Hill, the Areopagus, and he is there standing there on Mars Hill in Athens and we read in verse 22 that he says to them, ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For I passed by and I beheld your devotions and I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. And we read that later on he actually quotes from one of their poets. And we find here that Paul is addressing these philosophers in Athens in a different manner than the way that he addressed the, the barbarians. But both groups needed Christ. And he preached the gospel to both of these groups. He dealt with one group in a totally different way than he dealt with the other group, but he still brought them to Christ. And that is the ultimate destination to bring men, no matter where they find themselves, where they're sitting in Massachusetts at Harvard University in a biology classroom, we point them to Christ. And whether they be in a ghetto down in New Orleans, we point them to Christ. Paul's gospel preaching broke the economic, social, educational, and racial barrier. It is a terrible thing for a church to seek only the rich and despise the poor. It is a terrible thing for a church to forsake the homeless and embrace the fortunate only. It's a terrible thing for a church to forsake evangelism in a certain area because of the color of someone's skin or because they speak a different dialect than I do. We are under obligation to share this gospel with all men, not some men. When you look at the travels of the Apostle Paul, Paul did not deal with the Jew only. He dealt with all men. He went up the coast of Israel to Phrygia. He went up to Antioch. He went up into Asia Minor. He was over in, in what we know as Macedonia and Europe. He desired to go to Spain with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. He was willing to preach to every man this blessed gospel. We read that he even wanted to travel further east and to preach the gospel to those further east. But the Spirit of God forbade him. And sent him into Macedonia. You and I are under obligation to preach this gospel. You and I owe a debt to every person in this city, in our respective places in which we live. This debt and obligation we have will move us out of our comfort zones into the realm of reliance upon God. This obligation, it must be said, is not just to the pastor, not just to the elder. Not just to the deacon or Sunday school teacher or missionary or evangelist. We all collectively are obligated. We are slaves of Christ. And then to our fellow man. The apostle says, I am debtor. There is Paul's obligation. 
But I want you to see secondly with me that this obligation therefore leads to a great eagerness that is placed within his soul. Notice with me in verse 15 of our text. He says, I am debtor in verse 14 both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you. They're at Rome also. I am ready. And this particular word for ready here in the Greek language has the idea forward in spirit. The idea of being predisposed to do something. The idea of being eager. Paul's obligation drove him to this great eagerness. He, he was moving forward directionally. So as much as in me is, I am ready. Albert Barnes said, as far as opportunity may be afforded, and according to my ability, I am ready to preach the gospel. If I could boil it down, I, would, I think the Apostle Paul is essentially saying this. With every fiber of my being, I am ready. I am eager to preach the gospel to you at Rome. He was a man driven by the gospel. Paul had a passion for the gospel, a desire to make Christ known. We see this in various places in Romans 15. He said that I do not desire to build upon another man's foundation. But he said, I want to preach Christ where he is not named. You know, just thinking about that right now, I was looking at different cities and places in Germany yesterday. Germany now is a largely secularized country. Less than 2% of the people identify themselves as evangelicals. And multitudes of churches are closing every single week in the evangelical vein. I looked at the city of Wittenberg, Germany. It lies about 56 miles south of Berlin. And as I looked at that city, I began to look at the various churches that are in Wittenberg. You say, well, why is that so important? Well, Wittenberg is where Luther was from, where he nailed his 95 theses to the church door, and that massive structure still stands there today. And I began to look and see if I could find a single church that preached the gospel in Wittenberg. Not a single one. In the entirety of that city of 46,000 people, not a single gospel church to tell those people of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I want to preach the gospel where Christ is not named. Do you realize that there are multitudes of places around this world where Jesus is not named? Where he is not spoken, oh, they might know who Jesus is, but there is no gospel preaching. But I also say to you today that there are places in this world that have never once heard the name of Jesus. They don't know who Jesus are. They die in their 80s, never once hearing of a man called Jesus, the Nazarene, who died on a cross and what was Paul's desire? He was eager to go to places where Christ was not named to make him known. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says that he wanted to preach the gospel and the regions beyond you. That Paul always had this vision 
I must get the gospel to every man, every boy, every girl, every woman, because I have this obligation. I owe this debt to Christ. I am indebted to men, and I am eager to preach him and make him known. Is this the desire of your heart? This was the desire of the apostle. Are you eager to speak the name of Christ? For many people in our country, these United States, it's far easier to speak about our favorite sports team. What happened yesterday with the South Carolina Gamecocks, what happened yesterday with Clemson, it's not easier to talk about them. The football scores, it's a lot easier to talk about our favorite hobby, our children, our grandchildren, than it is about the gospel at times. Have you got to the point where your life is all about being spent for Christ. I've said it again, but I want you to sink it, let it sink down into your mind and never forget these words. There's only one thing that matters in this life, and it will be this, what you have done with Christ and what you do for Christ. That is the only thing that matters in this life. And Paul understood that. Paul understood that the only thing that mattered is what I do with Christ, what I do for Him. Nothing else in this life matters. As Paul would go to Rome, his eagerness for the gospel deplaced all his fear. Fear of man, fear of death. You remember reading in the book of Acts? that even a prophet came to the Apostle Paul and the prophet said, the man that wears this girdle, they will capture him and they will put him in prison. He will be put to death. And you remember the saints, how they begged and how they pleaded that Paul would not go to Jerusalem. But Paul said, the will of the Lord be done. Paul had a greater fear of God than he did of man. And Paul would agree with the words the great missionary to Ecuador, Jim Elliot, who said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Down through church history, God has raised up men to preach the gospel with great eagerness. Hudson Taylor, that great missionary to China, said this, and this shows you the eagerness that was in his soul to get Christ to people that have not heard Hudson Taylor said, I have but one candle of life to burn. And I'd rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. P.F. Breezy said, we are debtors to every man to give him the gospel in the same measure in which we have received it. William Borden, and I think about it every single time, and they had the Borden milk trucks that drive around here in South Carolina. William Borden was the heir to the Borden Milk Company. I believe in my memory serves me right that Borden went to Yale University. God had called him to preach the gospel. The Lord had saved him, called him, and he was going to uh, a section of northwestern China where there were Muslims, and he wanted to preach to them the gospel as a missionary. His father came to him, to William Borden. Mr. Borden came to William. And he said, William, you need to quit these fanciful dreams. I'm going to give you my company. 
If you don't take this company and you go to the mission field, you lose your inheritance. William Borden said that the call to the mission field was far greater than any milk company. It was said that on the flyleaf of William Borden's Bible that he then wrote the words, no reserves. And then when the threat came that his father would really take away the milk company from him, that underneath those words, no reserves, he wrote the words, no retreat. As William Borden boarded a ship to go out across to China, he died before he ever made it to the mission field. Just prior to that, as he was dying, he wrote in the flyleaf of his Bible, no regret. No reserves, no retreats, no regret. This was a man that was driven with a desire to make Christ known. There's an eagerness to preach the gospel. Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zizendorf, the great Moravian preacher, said this, I have but one passion. It is he. It is he alone. The world is the field. And the field is the world. Henceforth that country shall be my home. Where I can be most used in winning souls for Christ. This eagerness that is reflected in these men. Was the same eagerness that lied in the heart of the Apostle Paul. Who are better. Yeah who was it that put this eagerness in the heart of the apostle. Was this just generated by the apostle Paul? No. This was a love of Christ. It was Christ that put this love there. For the love of Christ, Paul said, constraineth me, it compels me. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. And it is the same love of Christ that will drive us to eagerly preach the gospel. And I think that the words from Roland Allen are so significant. We must not misunderstand what he said, but he said this. He said, missionary zeal, or evangelism, or the preaching of the gospel, missionary zeal does not grow out of intellectual beliefs, nor out of theological arguments, but out of love. You read the New Testament, you read Christ... You see Christ constantly seeing multitudes, being moved with compassion. What will drive us to share the gospel? Oh yes, theology is important to a great degree. But it is a love for the souls of men that drive us to preach Christ. If all we have is theological concepts, and we study our books and we read the great theological works and systematic theologies and biblical theologies and historical theologies and we learn the biblical languages and that's all we're consumed with but we don't love men. It's vain. It's useless. Paul was eager to preach the gospel in Rome because of the overflowing love for men that he had the love of God had been shed abroad in his heart by the Holy Ghost and he could not contain this love. Remember the Apostle Paul being dragged out of the city, out of Lydia, uh, out of Lydda and being stoned. There he was left for dead. And I love what the Bible says and immediately the next day he rose up and he went back into the city, preached to those same people that just stoned him. Why? Because the love of Christ 
constrained him. Today, more than ever, we need a gospel driven by love. Lester Roloff used to always say, people do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. Love the souls of men. Today, God, may he fill us with hearts of perfect love to declare a perfect Savior. So here the Apostle Paul is. His first I am statement, I am debtor, that's his obligation. Then he says, I am ready. That is his eagerness. But then he says in verse 16, I am not ashamed. That is his boldness. Verse 16 and 17, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Paul was not only obligated and eager, but he was also bold in his declaration of the gospel. Paul would not back up, shut up, let up for anyone. The apostle Paul was bold in his declaration of the scripture. The Jews had abandoned Paul as an apostle since he began to follow Jesus the Nazarene. The Jews abandoned Paul. He once was a great Pharisee, but now he's a follower of the way. They abandoned him. By many of the Gentiles, Paul was severely persecuted. I mentioned to you that he was stoned, thrown to, thrown to lions. He suffered shipwreck. All you have to do is read 2 Corinthians, and you see all the host of affliction that Paul went through. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 1 as well. He was hated. He was run out of cities for preaching the resurrected Christ. He was regarded as the filth of the world and the off-scouring of all things, 1 Corinthians 4.13. But still he was not ashamed of the gospel. He could not be ashamed. Why? For his life was so totally and radically transformed on the road to Damascus. He gloried in the power of the gospel. He was a violent aggressor. He was one that was seeking to destroy the Christian church. But the Christ that he persecuted had now become the Christ that he loved. Read with me in verse 16 here. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. What is the power of God? The gospel of Christ. That is the power of God. Paul could be bold in his proclamation of the gospel because he realized the power lied not in him, but in the message. Now that's significant that you and I understand that. The power does not lie in you. The power does not lie in me. The power lies in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The power does not lie in our clever evangelistic style or even a particular evangelistic method. The power lies in the gospel itself. That, my friend, is the power of God. It does not matter if you come to a soul and you are trembling and you're murmuring and you're stuttering. My friend, if you in a murmuring, stuttering condition share with that soul that Jesus died for their sin, that he bore their sins in his own body upon the tree, that if they would but fix their hope in him, they would be saved. That is just as effective as some bold person coming to them and declaring the truth 
It's not the one that comes. It's the message itself that is powerful. Therefore, my friends, know the gospel. Preach the gospel and trust the gospel. To the lost, the preaching of the gospel is foolishness. But to those who are saved, it is the power of God. Today, the gospel packs a punch that will subdue all the enemies of Christ. The gospel is the dynamite power of God. If you want to see God work here in this city of Lexington in Columbia, may God give you a man who knows his obligation, a man who is eager to keep that obligation, and a man who will boldly declare the gospel to this lost city. But not only is this gospel dynamite, but it also delivers. Notice with me there in verse 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Within what? Within the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed. The perfect righteousness of Christ is to be found in the gospel. This perfect righteousness comes to us by means of faith. The just shall live by faith. We just sung that hymn in our worship service, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, a bulwark never failing, that was written by Martin Luther. And as you well know, it was this text that God smote his heart, that he realized that he was saved by faith, and faith alone, justification was by faith, and faith alone. Well, what is this perfect righteousness? It is the merit of the Lord Jesus that flows from both his active and his passive obedience. It was this, verse 17, that caused that obscure Augustinian monk to nail 95 theses to the door of the Catholic Church in Wittenberg. The rest, they say, was history. The Reformers and the Puritans boldly stood for the doctrine of justification. The just shall live by faith. And this doctrine is wrapped up in the gospel. So what is it that man stands in need of so desperately before God? Man stands in need of righteousness. And it cannot be our own. For our righteousness is filthy rags. What does God expect from man? God expects absolute perfect obedience. But there's one problem with you and I. We can't give that. But thank God there was one that came, the Lord Jesus Christ, and lived the life we could not live, died the death we should have died, rose again as ascended in the glory, and he calls people to come to him, and if they come to him, this alien and foreign righteousness comes to them by faith and faith alone. We have a wonderful gospel to preach that offers the forgiveness of sin, the imputation of Christ's righteousness, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, adoption into God's family, a change of citizenship, a future home in heaven, a new name, and conformity to the person of Christ. We have no reason to hide this message. We have every reason to make it known. We have every reason to not be ashamed. So I ask you this morning, do you feel the weight of the obligation today? Do you feel the weight of it? If not, why? Has your heart grown cold? 
Is there a misunderstanding of the Scripture? Is there an eagerness arising within you? Is there an eagerness within you? You say, well, I know the Lord has called me to where I am, but I have this eagerness, and Lord, I I desire just like the Apostle, the Lord, that you would send me to the regions beyond if it be your will. That God, that you would send me if it be your will to places where Christ is not yet named. Is there this eagerness within you to declare Christ? Is there a compulsion to speak the triumphs of His grace? If you're not consumed with the gospel, then you're consumed by something else. Will you boldly speak of Him this week? If Christ is your life and the gospel will easily then flow from your lips. So can you say with the apostle today, I am debtor, I am ready, and I am not ashamed. I pray you can this morning. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord today. Thank you for the truths of the Holy Scriptures. God, even as I preach this message, God, my own heart, God is moved God, by the multitudes that have never heard the name of Jesus. God, I think about those countries. God, I think about that quote by Hudson Taylor. I only have one life to burn. One candle of life to burn, and I'd rather burn it out in a land flooded with darkness than a world in a land flooded with light. God, you have so richly blessed these United States to be flooded with so much light. God, even as I think about needy areas such as New England and the western states, God, they still possess so much more light than many parts of the world. God, there are many parts of this world that are so needy So needy, Lord. God, even as we spoke about this city where the Reformation began in Wittenberg, and now, Lord, it is completely barren and destitute of any gospel witness whatsoever. God, help us. God, would you be merciful and send people to these places to preach Christ? God, we pray that you would place within us an eagerness, God, to make the name of Christ known. But God, also couple with that eagerness a great boldness. God, that as governments and things encroach and come against us, men come against us, that, Lord, that we would stand bold in our declaration of thy word. God, for we ought to obey God rather than men. God, may we never seek to please men, but only seek to please the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, go with us now as we depart this place. And we pray that as we leave, the God, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable in thy sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. God, we ask all of it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. We are dismissed.